message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. We're just so very grateful and really consider it a huge honour to be back here and sharing with you about what we've been up to. We have got a little video, but perhaps what we'll do, if it's okay with Graham, it's just us playing in the snow. That's all it is. <laughs> because <laughs> wherever we go, people say, what's the winter like in Russia? And so we thought, well, we'll bring a video and we'll show us playing in the snow and you can actually see that we really do have over a metre of snow in Russia. So we'll play that perhaps later. Is that okay when people are drinking coffee? Just have it on and you can, <laughs> you can just... I, the kids might enjoy it more than you, to be honest. <laughs> um, but, uh, so you'll get a feel for Russian winter, I promise. So we were sent out to Russia a year ago um, with a, a remit which has changed. We were sent, it's in, in part, it's changed. We were sent out to a town called Tver, which is in between Moscow and St. Petersburg. I'm guessing you've all heard of Moscow and St. Petersburg. And um, we went to a little town called Tver, which, uh, which, well, I say little, it's little for Russian standards, still 400,000 people. How many people in Derby? Okay, so slightly bigger than Derby, although geographically much smaller. Because, of course, in Russia, families would all share one-room apartments and it's, everything's kind of squashed in and live in these tall, high-rise tower blocks. And so we went out to Tver, um, partly because of some involvement that Hannah and I had been having the year before, because there were some problems in the New Frontiers church there. Their eldership team sadly broke down and left the church very sad and very hurt. And we had the privilege of being a part of that church for a year, and we helped to build up a new leadership team and uh, helped with the leaders set some new vision. And the church, we're excited about being able to say it's going really well now. Really, really well. Um, and there's talk of some wonderful new initiatives in terms of building family and outreach, and it's just brilliant. And so we went out there originally thinking that we would be based in Tver for two years, learning language and culture and helping the church. And then, to our surprise, although obviously not to God's, um, the uh, Russia changed the way they issue visas because of all the problems that England and Russia have been having, political problems over the last year. Business visas have now pretty much stopped unless you want to go out for three months and then return to your country of residence for another three months. So if we got a business visa and we're going back this year, we would have to go to Russia for three months and then return to England for three months. Go to Russia for three months, return to England for three months, which I'm sure you can appreciate is no good for the education of children and no good for building, um, well, you know, uh, systematically helping churches and systematically helping language learning. However, um, it did come to our attention that we could get a student visa, but not, still not in Tver, only in St. Petersburg or Moscow. Now, before we left, David Devonish, I'm sure some of you have heard of a chap called David Devonish, he's really one of our apostolic leaders in New Frontiers and his international team, um, they were praying with us 
shortly before we left and began prophesying that St Petersburg would feature in our future. And so it really was a no-brainer when it came to deciding, are we going to go to Moscow or are we going to go to St Petersburg to continue our language learning? Because we already had a passion for moving to St Petersburg at some point to church plants, because New Frontiers have no church no churches at all, very, um, even Charisma, which is the main evangelical Christian board like Evangelical Alliance. How would you describe the Evangelical Alliance? Something like that. Churches kind of join the Evangelical Alliance in the UK and um, they help them out with lots of things. <laughs> and it also means that these churches all believe in the same thing. Well, the equivalent in Russia, Charisma, isn't in St. Petersburg either. There are lots of independent churches. There are some other um, independent stream type things set up there. Of course, the Orthodox Church is very big in St. Petersburg, but nothing in the, not much in the way of church in terms of family values that we appreciate, like you appreciate here in Derby, across the other churches that you work with within New Frontiers in Nottingham and Loughborough and uh, Stoke and Lincoln and so on. So we're going to St. Petersburg in July with the aim to plant a new church and do it very slowly <laughs> because our language is still very limited. Um, but surprising as it is, you know, as soon as we made that decision, people began to get in contact with us and say, you know, are you planting into St. Petersburg? We'd really like to know more about it. So there is an undercurrent of interest and so who knows what God will do? We'll turn up and we'll kind of wait and see. We will be planting a bilingual church. That means we'll be speak, the church will be in English and in Russian. Um, but initially we are going to attempt to lead a pioneering home group that will only speak Russian. So we're in fear and trepidation about that. But you know, we believe that that's what God wants us to do. So we're going to go for it in faith. And uh, we've been promised lots of support um, in terms of encouragement from church leaders in New Frontiers. So David Derrish is going to come out regularly, Colin Barron and David Stroud possibly. So these are perhaps names that you'll know if you've been around New Frontiers for a while. Anyway, time's ticking on and it would be wonderful to share with you some of the lessons that Hannah and I have learned in terms of moving from one culture into another. Is that okay? So if you could open your Bibles to Ruth. <coughs> and um, one of the things that has become so obvious to us in moving to a new culture is just how delicate we are. <laughs> just the human race, or just perhaps it's just Hannah and I. We're just so delicate, we're so vulnerable. Can anyone empathise with me? I'm so pleased. Um, and so we arrived in Russia and found lots of things a huge shock. In fact, the first seven months were a mixture of extreme joy and extreme confusion and fear. <laughs> really, we had days where we were just absolutely loving it and days where we were you know, almost sobbing our heart out, saying, God, why have you brought us here? Where are you? What have you done? You've abandoned us. <laughs> Especially, I remember the day I went into the bank and had to sit in hours for nine, I had to sit in a meeting for nine hours just to be able to pay a direct debit 
into my landlord's bank account to pay for our rent. And the time when we tried to get on the bus and the, and the, the bus driver said the first time, this happens all the time, but the very first time we tried to get on a bus with our three children in the buggy and the driver shouted at us and drove off. Russians only have one child at the very most and buggies are very rare. So in, ter in terms of three children and a buggy, you're not going to get on any bus. Most taxis won't even let you on. I mean, it is really quite heartbreaking the first time you encounter that. I remember filling our house constantly in the first few months of, with, with people that we wanted to show God's love to and just bless them and feed them and never getting asked back anywhere and just thinking, do we smell? What's the deal? You know, I've got a very beautiful wife, or I'm not so attractive, but you know, there's, what, what's going on here? Until we learnt that Westerners are considered as very rich and it's almost a shameful thing to have people come into their, uh, Westerners come into your house because they'll see how little you've got and they'll see how small your apartment is and they'll be disgusted. And of course, you know, we don't, we're not coming from a Western culture so much as a kingdom culture. You know, <laughs> we're going, we were going sent by the church, we were going as ambassadors for Jesus. We wanted just to get to know these people, become a part of the culture, and there was this great big barrier in the way. It's like, oh God. But we really feel that God really helped us, and especially through the first chapter of Ruth. So I'd really like to read this with you and, and, and share some stuff with you out of it. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed. Now let me explain. The days when the judges governed. This was a rough time. This was, sin was everywhere. Um, this was a, a terrible place, terrible time in history to live and that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. Can I just ask, is anyone expecting a baby? No. Would anybody like to have babies in this room who hasn't already? No. That's a shame. <laughs> well, if you know anyone who's a Christian and you think they might have babies one day, and you know it's, Christians like to give the names, give names to their children out of the Bible. You know, we often do that. We've done that with our kids. Can I just say, as an encouragement, tell them not to use these names for their children, Marlon or Kilion. Marlon means sick and Kilion means dying. It's like the equivalent of saying, here are my children, AIDS and meningitis. I mean, it's really quite nasty. So I've got no idea why these children were called sickness and dying, but they were. One of the questions, mysteries of the Bible that I hope I'll find out one day. They were Ephrates. That means they were from Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons, they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of one was Orpha and the name of the other Ruth, and they lived there about ten years. Then both Marlon and Kilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her children and her husband. It's cheerful, isn't it? Then she arose with her daughter-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab, 
For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So he, she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way to return to the land of, Je of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should we go with you? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may return, that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people should be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you from me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. She said no more to her. Lehem, all the city was stirred because of them, and the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me, call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call, my, call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned with her Ruth, the Moabitess, the daughter-in-law who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So... Lessons that we have learnt that can be summarised by this first chapter of Ruth. Let me describe to you Elimelech. Matt, can I borrow you? <coughs> this is Elimelech. He's a dude. He was in Bethlehem, and then the worst thing happened. In Bethlehem, there was no food. No food. You've got a wife, you've got children. What are you going to do about it? somewhere else go somewhere else he's going to go somewhere else because there is no food in Bethlehem he can't feed his kids what a terrible thing what would a godly man do Matt? Uh, I don't know <laughs> better ask one I think a godly man would pray would pray a godly man would pray and would seek God for what to do that's a great idea it is isn't it it's a very good idea but Nelimelech didn't do that. Elimelech. The name Elimelech means my God is king. Okay, so here's the dude. This is the dude. Matt the dude. Elimelech the dude. My God is king. This is a strong man. He believes that his God is king. Nothing's going to waver that thought in his head. He believes his God is king. Yeah? Yeah. I'm there. But what does his actions say? Oh, his actions say, I don't believe that. Exactly. I'm good at this. You're very good at this. <laughs> his actions say, that his God isn't king, his God can't provide, 
So he is going to sit down, he is going to write a plan, and he is going to go somewhere else where he can feed his beautiful wife and children, even though they are called sickness and dying. (laughs) So that's what he does. He gets up and he goes off, not anywhere, but a place called Moab. What do you know about Moab, Matt? called Moab. Right. Why is it called Moab? Because Lot, the nephew of Abraham, lived there. He was a very sinful man. He slept with his two daughters and that place became somewhere of intense sexual perversion. So God says in the Old Testament in somewhere that his people aren't to live with the Moabites. They're not to marry the Moabites. But what does Elimelech do? He makes a plan, doesn't consult God, and he goes to the place where God has said, don't go. No. Exactly. So he goes to Moab. And because he's the dude, and because he thinks that his God is God, he arrives, and he's a bit of a know-it-all. He arrives. He thinks, I know how to make a business. I've been successful in Bethlehem. I'll be successful there. I'm going to be a success. I'm going to provide for my beautiful wife, and I'm going to provide for my children. He arrives, and what happens? He dies. <laughs> Poor Elimelech. I didn't want to say that. So you're dead now. You can go and sit down. Elimelech dies. There is no more Elimelech. So Elimelech leaves his culture that he knows. He leaves Bethlehem, the place that he loves. And he goes into a new place called Moab, and he thinks he's the dude. He thinks he knows it all. He thinks, I understand how things work. I understand God. We'll arrive and we'll make it work. He arrives and he dies. Ruth, on the other hand, what do we know about Ruth? Here's Ruth. Beautiful Ruth. It's great being back, picking on my friends. (laughs) She's Ruth, okay? Ruth knows Naomi. Who's Naomi? Who can be Naomi? Anybody else I know? Anyone want to volunteer? This isn't going to work unless we've got another volunteer. Can you pick somebody? (laughs) Rachel. Rachel. Okay. Rachel, here's Naomi. The name Naomi, by the way, means sweetheart. Okay, so she's a sweetheart. Is she a sweetheart? Good. So she's a sweetheart. Here's Ruth. Ruth is from, a, uh, is from a culture of sin. Okay? <laughs> Naomi, she's from a culture of loving the Lord. Okay? She loves the Lord. And she is, she's a sweetheart. Everybody loves Naomi. Everybody wants to be her friend. Okay. And this poor sinner here sees this sweetheart here and thinks, I'm going to follow this lady and she's going to teach me how to live. Okay, so Ruth finds Naomi and follows her around and learns about the God of the Bible. Okay, (coughs) so when Elimelech dies and her sons die, what does Ruth say when Naomi says, well, I'm going back to Bethlehem because there's food now in Bethlehem and there's not food here. What does she say? What does she say? She'll go with her. So she goes with Naomi. But Naomi says... No, no, stay here. Find another husband. Stay here. This is where your family is. But Ruth says, no, you're a sweetheart. You're a darling. You've taught me all about 
Jesus, you've taught me all about what it means to be in a community of people that love the Lord. And she wants to see it. She wants to go to Bethlehem and see it for herself. What does it mean to be in a land that belongs to the Lord? And so she begs. Ruth begs. You've got to get on your knees now. Okay, so she's begging Naomi, please take me with you. Please take me with you. You're a sweetheart. I need to learn. Okay, so what do you say? All right. All right, then. So off they go. To off they go, where are they going? Bethlehem. <coughs> now, what's the difference between Elimelech, who goes into Moab thinking he's the dude, I'm the dude, and Ruth, who thinks, I don't know anything about this nation, I've heard a lot about it, I love this girl who's a sweetheart. She loves Jesus and she, is gonna t- she has taught me all about God and now I'm a Christian and she can help me back into a culture that I don't understand because she understands the Lord. And so what we have here is the difference between running into a new situation or a new culture where you think you know it all and someone who backs in, who does it wisely, who does it the godly way, who says, actually, I know nothing about this She's the sweetheart, she knows, she understands, she knows Jesus. I want to get behind her and I'm going to follow her into this culture. And she's going to teach me the lingo. She's going to teach me how to speak. She's going to teach me how to act. She's going to teach me all about this wonderful God that I've heard all about and how to worship him and make, make my life pleasing to him. I'm going to enter into a new culture like that. What's the most appealing? This way. If you are the dude and you go into a new culture like Elimelech, what happens? You fall flat on your face, you die. It's not a success. Okay, and that was very much our first lesson. And I believe that this, you can apply this to any kind of lesson. You know, when you, a new culture that you might go into, maybe you'll get a new job at some point. Maybe you will enter into a new social group of people. Maybe God will bring about a new situation and what's the right way? It's not, an, it's not pride, it's not I'll be the dude, it's I'm going to back in, I'm going to back in carefully and I'm going to follow this person in. Now, Ruth, you can go and sit down for a minute. Naomi here, Naomi, sweetheart, can you say sweetheart? just practicing my Pentecostal thing, you know. And <laughs> so this is the sweetheart. Now, what's happened to your husband? He's dead. He's dead. What's happened to your children? They're dead too. They're dead too. It's not going well. Whose fault is it? Mine. No, it's not yours. <laughs> Naomi says in the Bible, it's God's fault. She arrives in Bethlehem, and what does she say? She says, people say, look, this is Naomi. This is the sweetheart. And she's saying, no, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Do you know what Mara means? It means bitter old hag. <laughs> so she's not, she's not a sweetheart anymore. Now she is the bitter old hag. Have a grumble. Show us how really well you can grumble Grum- against God. Tell him how... What a, oh. So now... Thank you, you can sit down. So now Naomi isn't... She isn't the sweetheart anymore because her husband's dead, her children are dead. In Ruth's eyes, she's still the sweetheart. 
but in her heart she's become bitter and angry against God. <clears throat> God has taken my children away. God has made my has made my husband die. God has taken me out of a culture that I loved, into a culture that I didn't understand, out of my church, out of the place of God's people, out of that community that I loved. Now, now I've been in Moab and my life has become a misery. Everything has gone sour around me. Can I ask, have anyone ever felt like your life, situations in your life, have just turned ugly? And you think, how am I going to get out of this? This is really difficult. Is it just me? Please put your hand up. Two if you feel like you've had two doses of bad luck. <laughs> and, you know, when we went to Russia, and, you know, I remember this nine hour meeting, I was like, God, what have you done? Why have you brought me here? Is the, every situation going to have this, so, this much red tape? I remember when <laughs> we booked our kids into kindergarten. Like about the third day we were there, we took them along to this kindergarten. They said, I'm oh, sorry, we gave your places away yesterday. I'm like, God, what have you done? You said that you were going to bless us here and we were going to be successful here. You sent us here and we got there and everything was going wrong. Getting on the bus and the bus <laughs> driver says, no, you can't get on with your kids. I'm thinking I've got to be five miles away. How am I going to get there? Taxi man won't take me. The bus man won't take me. How am I going to do it? God, what have you done? Anyone been in that kind of situation? And all of a sudden, a heart that is sweet and is full of the love of God and full of rejoicing because you know that God is on the throne becomes a heart that isn't praising God for who he is but is bitter against him. And what's happened? Actually, you've forgotten that God is good. And so one of the things that we found ourselves doing time and time again when we were in Russia is just simply reminding ourselves no, this isn't God's fault. God is good. There's a lesson in this. We believe God in his sanctification, that he's making us more like Jesus, and that's why we've come to Russia. It's because we want to be more like Jesus, and we want to proclaim the fame of Jesus here. We want to teach people about the love of Jesus. And if Jesus is going to make me more like him in this situation, then great. Jesus is good. He still loves me. He hasn't made the situation happen. It might have, it might have happened. But Jesus is still good. I want my heart to remain sweet. And actually, I think that Naomi, when she says to the people, look, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, call me bitter. I think actually what she was doing there was confessing. that Her heart had gone bitter and she was asking for help. Suddenly she was back in the church and she was saying, help me. My heart has gone bitter. My heart is cold. I need your help. And that's what the church is for, isn't it? It's for... It's all about grace, isn't it? We've received Jesus' grace. Now let's pour out grace upon one another and keep pointing one another back to Jesus. That's what the church is about. It's about the grace of God. That's why we're saved. That's why our mission is the grace of Jesus. <coughs> so Ruth. Can I have your back, Ruth? <coughs> so Ruth, lastly... I'm Doing this so quick at the time, I'm so sorry. <clears throat> so here's Ruth. What an amazing woman. She says goodbye to Moab, the place that she loved, the place where her mum and dad are, her brothers and sisters, everyone she loves, she says goodbye to Moab. She turns around 
to a culture she doesn't understand or know. Over there is a land that she doesn't understand. And what is she? A Moabitess. She is from a land these people don't like and have been told to have nothing to do with. So what's going to happen to her? An outcast. She's going to get, likely, she's going to be ridiculed and not liked. Yet what does she do? She has had an encounter with God. We know that because she... Yeah, it, it, the scripture gives us an indication that she had an encounter when she said, no, your God is now my God. So she takes a step of faith and she walks into a culture she doesn't understand. Why? Because she's a woman of faith. And what happens to her? If you read, if you read the book of Ruth, it's only four chapters, so it won't take you long. I encourage you, read the book of Ruth. She meets a man called Boaz who redeems her. He is one of the most prominent men in Bethlehem, owns most of the real estate in Bethlehem, falls in love with this girl who was a sinner, was from a land that of, of sexual perversion, so goodness knows what she's been up to. <laughs> she's, I know, I've known Louise for a long, long time. <laughs> and I hope she's got a wonderful marriage. <laughs> Right, so goodness knows what she's been up to, but Boaz comes along and says, no, this is a woman of faith. She is a woman of beauty and her character. I want to marry her. And he redeems her, and she is lifted up as one of the most prominent women in society. And so, because she takes a step of faith and she does what she believed God has told, us to do, told her to do, all of a sudden her life story becomes one of success and the fame of Jesus of the grace of Jesus, of love. It's a beautiful love story. It's a story of peace and of restoration. And I can tell you, as long as we're walking in faith, as long as we're being like Ruth, that's what Jesus does to us. He comes along and he lifts us up and he gives us success. And so I just want to encourage, thank you, Louise, if you, when you enter into new situations... Do it with faith. Do it trusting that God is going to lift you up just as he lifted up Ruth. And uh, there you have it. I'll finish there. Time's running on. But I would, in the worship, I was kind of thinking about my notes. I scratched my eye yesterday and I went to the walking centre today and didn't have time to even look at my Bible this morning. And uh, I was just asking Jesus, please use this talk. Give me some words to say. And um, I really felt Jesus showing me how Ruth was set free out of a culture that ensnared her into a culture of grace. And I really felt that there were people here who feel ensnared and by something, by a culture that they know is not doing them any good. And Jesus is wanting to move you out, to help you take steps of faith into a culture of glory, into a culture of Jesus' grace and his love and his freedom. You know, we've been forgiven, our sin has been forgiven. That means we can step out of sin and into freedom and wave goodbye to chains of destruction.
And it's all free, it's all been done. So I really like just to pray. Now, is that okay? Can we stand? Jesus, we want to thank you this morning for your great grace. We want to thank you, Jesus, that there's no need for pride in your kingdom. I want to thank you, Jesus, that it's, we haven't done anything to make us the princesses and the princes that you have made us. We don't deserve it. We're not the dudes, you're the dude. You are the dude, God. You came and rescued us. You set our feet upon a rock. You gave us new names. You said you are no longer bound by sin, but now you are righteous. You are righteous. You said to us, I died on the cross. My blood was spilt to make you righteous so that you could step away from sin, so that you could step out of cultures that held you and enslaved you and into a wonderful new life of freedom, of life, of love. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are good and that there is no need to make our hearts bitter. There is no need for it. I thank you, Jesus, that you do protect us and I thank you, Jesus, that you've given us the church to protect us. I thank you that, like Naomi, we can go to one another and say, look, my heart is getting bitter. Point me back to Jesus. Help me. I said, Jesus, however anyone may be enslaved here this morning by cultures of sin, be it sinful acts, be it a bitter heart, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you set them free. Would you set them free, Lord? Would you set them free? I'm, we've got our eyes closed, we've got many of us, I'm sure, have got our hands lifted. But if you know that you are enslaved right now by sin, by a bitter heart, just I want to ask you. Show Jesus that you long for his freedom. Lift your hands up in the air, like I'm doing. You can look at me, my eyes are closed, I'm not looking at you. Lift your hands up in the air. Show Jesus that you are desperate. Ruth turned around to Naomi and said, I'm not going, you take me with you. Let's do it to Jesus. Let's say, you teach me freedom, Jesus. You set my heart free. Set my heart free, Lord Jesus. Thank you, you died on the cross Thank you, your blood paid the price. We love you and bless you and praise your name. Just receive the freedom of God. Receive the truth right now into your hearts that there is no condemnation. But you can take a step of faith like Ruth. You can wave goodbye to Moab. You can wave goodbye to your sin. And you can step into Bethlehem, into God's place, into Jesus' arms. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.